Good morning again. Is everyone awake? Well, that's good. Hopefully you enjoyed worshiping this morning. And our God is great, isn't he? And it's good to sing how great our God is because he's truly great. And no matter how great you think God is, imagine this. No matter how great you think he is, he's greater than that. He's greater than our finite minds can possibly imagine. Imagine that. It puts it on overload our minds to try to think how great our God is. He truly is great. If you would open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 9, and if you have a, a message outline, if you don't have one, you get, get one right outside there in the lobby, right there at the ministry counter, please pick one up. How many of you like the Olympics? You like the Olympics, they come, and, and I love watching sports, and I love watching Olympics, and I like the competition. I don't know if you like watching the competition. The, the Olympics is the best. The best comes out, right, where the best of every country competes to see who's the greatest. See who's going to be the greatest. Every one of those athletes have been hard at work for many, many years. They've been in training for hundreds, if not thousands of hours they put in to train for this event. And their one goal is to stand on that podium with their national anthem playing and that gold medal around their neck. That's their goal. That's it. They have that happen. We talk in our culture who is the greatest? And many times we talk in sports, and with sports, the reason you know who's the greatest, you say, is with the stats. And in hockey, they say there's the great one. And who's the great one? Any hockey fans? Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky. I don't know. And for basketball, you know, I'm seeing there's not many hockey fans. If you're, if you're in Michigan or close to Chicago, there are many hockey fans. But um, they're, they're, in basketball, they talk about the, there's – a debate who's the greatest one in basketball. People say Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Wilt Chamberlain. But the way they get across that, they look at the stats. Most people look at the stats and who has the most points, who has the most rebounds, the most assists, and who won the most championships. But if you, win, you live in the Chicago area, you all come to assume who's the greatest? Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. I should say that loud. Michael Jordan. I mean, if you're in the NFL and you say who's the greatest quarterback, you may not agree, but you have to look at the passing yards, the touchdowns, the reception, all those kind of things, and who has the most championships. You almost have to come with the greatest quarterback. It would be probably Tom Brady. People don't like that, but it probably has to come with Tom Brady. We have definitions of greatness in, in our world, whether it's in the movies. In the movies, what determines who's the greatest, uh, how many Oscars they've been nominated, how many they've won, or, or right now, who brings in the biggest box office uh, uh, money, funds and stuff, they consider them to be the greatest. Every year, Time Magazine has the person of the year, and there's always a buzz about who's the most influential person of the year, who's the greatest person of that year. You know who was the greatest person in 1938, who they said was? Yeah, somebody said it, Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler, can you imagine that? He was the person of the year. When challenged by Time Magazine, they said that he was the greatest challenge to democracy in the freedom-loving world. And yet he was so evil. And what Jesus is going to do in this passage today, he's going to take that definition of greatness in which the world offers, that oftentimes we chase, and he's going to turn it upside down. He's going to flip it upside down is what Jesus is going to do. So he's going to share three incidents in Mark chapter 9 with us. And those three incidents are going to show us truly what greatness really is what greatness really is. And remember the first seven chapters of the book of Mark. Hopefully you've got it down. The first seven chapters of the book of Mark, there's one miracle right after the other, right after what you see. Jesus declared himself to be the Son of God and the Messiah, and he's doing those miracles at a very fast pace. And then almost when you get to chapter 8, it's almost like the Holy Spirit puts the brakes on. 
and slows it all down. And Jesus turns his attention away from those miracles to his disciples to teach them, preparing the disciples for the day that he no longer would be there. And so the, there's some critical moments that we see here in these chapters of, of preparation and training. And we get an opportunity to listen in on this conversation that he's having with his disciples. We also get an opportunity to learn as well. And he, and he taught his disciples, he's teaching them now that he has to go to Jerusalem and he's going to have to go there and suffer and die. And that was not on their radar. That's not what they were thinking the Messiah would come to do. They wanted a Messiah who was going to come and overthrow and deliver them from the Roman oppression. They wanted a political leader. They wanted someone who was going to be great. And greatness to them could not be defined or identified in their minds by humiliation and death. That doesn't define Messiah to them. That doesn't define who they thought he would be. And Jesus was going to tell them exactly what, what the kingdom meant and how they were to live in this kingdom. And the first thing that he shares with them, uh, what greatness is not, and this is not in your notes, he tells them that greatness is not success. Not success. Not in the world's definition. It's not success. And then he shares with them in these three episodes of what greatness truly is. And if you have your outlines, he gives us three measurements of true greatness. And the first one is found in Mark chapter 9, verse 30 through 32. Let's begin reading. It says, they left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed to the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. This little paragraph right here tells us so much about greatness. That greatness is not chased, chasing our aspirations. They can be measured in accomplishments and accumulations. But the first measure of true greatness, what Jesus is talking about, greatness is measured by sacrifice. By sacrifice. And Jesus pulls them aside privately to teach his disciples. And he's at the north uh, area of Galilee right now, no, northern area of Galilee. And he shares this message with them that he's going to die. Now, this is the second time he shared this with them in, in two chapters. And it's very interesting when you read the words here. It says the Son of Man is going to be betrayed. That word betrayed means to, to give over or to be handed over. So the Son of Man is going to be given over or handed over, what it's saying. The previous time he had used that, it appeared that the people were handing him over, who he was talking about, were the religious leaders, high priests, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, as, as the leader, all the leaders of the religious parties at that time. But many scholars believe the way it's used here in this passage, he's talking about something different. The word betrayed in Mark chapter 9, verse 31. There was something, somebody different who was going to hand him over. Who do you think that's going to be? If you said God, how many of you said, no, I'm not going to say that. If you said God, you're probably right. And you say, What? You're saying God is going to hand his own son over to be killed by these people? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. See, when you look at the crucifixion of Jesus, when you look at that, you look at those who were implicated in it. The Bible tells us they were wicked men. They were religious leaders. They were the Romans. They were the Jews. And in reality, you and I were there too. Because Jesus died on the cross for our sins too. And the Bible tells us in the book of Romans that Jesus was delivered for our transgressions, for our trespasses. That's why he came. He delivered us from them. But God's role, when we see God's role, when you read Isaiah 53, it makes it kind of plain. It says that the Lord crushed him. The Lord bruised him and caused him to suffer is what it says. 
And Peter, when he heard Jesus, said that he didn't understand. So he didn't respond. He didn't ask any questions. But later on, Peter would finally get it. But it would be after Jesus ascended into heaven that Peter finally got it. And we find that out in Acts chapter 2. When the church began, the day the church began at the day of Pentecost, and, and, and in one verse in Acts chapter 2 helps us to realize that Peter really got it. In Acts chapter 2, verse 23, let me read it to you. Peter, Peter says, he's speaking here, he's giving a great sermon and teaching. He says, this man, which is Jesus, Jesus was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So what he's saying, you have this whole plan of God that is taking place, taking shape here. And you had God who had planned this before the foundation of the world was ever created, before anything in this world was ever created. You had God, he orchestrated it, he used wicked and lawless men to carry out his plan. That's what he's saying there. That's what Peter's saying. He used wicked and lawless men to carry out his plan, God did. And you had Jesus in between right there. You had Jesus in between. Greatness is measured by sacrifice. You have Jesus yielded and sacrificed himself to do the will of the Father. That's greatness. Jesus is the standard of greatness. Sacrifice. He yielded to God the Father. He yielded and went to the cross for you and I. He came to this earth to go to the cross. When you look at that, when you look at our world, what, it is, what is it in our world that says to be great? And most people would say, oh, well, in our world today, it's in terms of self-proclamation. People say they're great, right? So they must be great because they say it. It's, it's also accomplishing things, accomplishments. It, it, it's also who's on the wealthiest list? Who's on the invite list? Who has the most followers on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, or whatever else you use on social media? Who has the most followers? And what Jesus is saying to you and I know, that's not it at all. Greatness is not determined by the world's definition of success or of what it is. He says, stop following that. Stop chasing after those things. That's not what it is. That's not what any of us should be going after. But greatness is determined by our willingness to sacrifice, lay down the reins of our lives to follow the will of God. That's greatness. And that's what he was saying Jesus did. That's truly greatness. When you and I yield our hearts and minds to God to follow him, not our will, to follow him totally in obedience, that's greatness. The second incident is found in Mark chapter 9, verse 33 through 37. They came to Capernaum. Capernaum's on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was the home base of Jesus' ministry. The Galilean ministry was there at Capernaum. It was also where many of these disciples had grown up there in this, in this area. Some of them were fishermen, and they fished on that Sea of Galilee. It was right there. There was a synagogue there that Jesus also taught right there in Capernaum. So it says at verse 33, they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? Remember we shared last week when Jesus asked a question or when God asked a question, it's never because he doesn't know the answer. So yes, why would Jesus ask a question then? He asked a question to engage our minds, to get us to think, to get us to articulate what we're thinking, what we're believing, to see if it's in contrast with God's word, to see if it's in contrast with God's will, God's principles, God's law. So Jesus asked him a question, but he already knew the answer. He already knew the answer. And he asked him, what were you arguing on the road? 
And they kept silent, out of embarrassment, I'm sure, because it tells us in the next verse, verse 34. But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. And so you have to understand, there's something very dramatic about this, almost comical about this to me, because here's Jesus walking along, and you have this pattern back then. You had the, the rabbi or the teacher, his, his disciples would follow him. And disciple just means learner. That's all it means, learners. Learners of the rabbi. They're, they're learning the rabbi, and they're following him. So he's walking along, the rabbi or the teacher's walking along, and his disciples, they say, would walk in the dust of the rabbi's shoes. What does that mean to do? That is, he's kicking up the dust. They're so close to him, they're walking that close. So he's walking along and walking very close to Jesus, very close. And he's teaching them. And they're learning. They're listening to everything they said. That he's saying. So Jesus is walking along, and he's telling them that he must go to Jerusalem and die and then rise on the third day. And these guys are back here, not listening to anything that Jesus says. That's why they don't respond. They don't make any comments because they're back there arguing about who's going to be the greatest. <laughs> they're back there, have a different mindset altogether. They're not even listening to Jesus, what he even has to say. And so they're back there, and, and so uh, I, I, I don't know who it says, but they're arguing amongst themselves. But I can imagine Peter, you can imagine him, can't, probably arguing. You can imagine maybe the big three, Peter, uh, James, and John there. Uh, John and James, the sons of thunder. When that says the sons of thunder, they were quick-tempered ones. I can imagine them saying, hey, we're the greatest. We're, we're, we're the ones that should be at the right and left of Jesus, be the closest Jesus. Because after all, he took us up on the mountain, and that's where he showed who he was, his deity, in his glory. We got to see it. We were there. We were privileged. We were there, so, so we should be the ones closest to him. And I imagine Simon the Zealot said, I wasn't there, but I'm a zealot. I was a zealot to overthrow the Roman government. Now he used all that zeal to build the kingdom, to follow Jesus. So therefore, I should be the closest. And maybe Matthew says, you know, I should be the closest because no one gave up more than I have. I had a successful business. I was the tax collector. I gave it all up for Jesus. And I opened up my home to Jesus so others could hear about Jesus. So I should be the closest. While they're elbowing each other out and they're talking and they're arguing amongst themselves, Jesus asked them a very simple question. What were you arguing about? And the disciples are silent. And Jesus heard everything they said. I mean, they weren't 50 yards back. They were right, right behind him. If he turned around, they would have probably walked into him. So Jesus is using this as an opportunity to teach. Remember this. Anytime you see a parable, anytime you see Jesus teaching something, he's doing it for a reason. And ask yourself, why did he tell this parable? Why is he talking about this right now? Because something had happened. They were arguing who's going to be the greatest. So Jesus, as he always does, he uses an opportunity to teach them. Listen to what it says in verse 35. You almost get the scene. Setting down, Jesus called the 12 and said. So he sits down and he calls the 12, come around me. I got something to share with you. And he says, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all is what he tells him. In other words, what he's saying, greatness is not measured by status. The second measurement of true greatness, greatness is measured by service. By service is what he's saying. And this is upside down for the disciples. It has, has to be. And Jesus, this is what he always taught. This is how he lived his life. He had every right to be, to have full attention, but he didn't. He came to serve, the Bible tells us. And so while they were arguing about who's going to be the greatest, who's going to sit at the right hand and the left hand of Jesus, they were all interested in that. Jesus says, you've got it all wrong. You guys don't understand. 
you've got it again, they got it all wrong. He said, if you want to be the greatest, you have to be the servant of all. You have to be last. And that doesn't go in our, in our, in our world in which we live, in our society, in our culture. If you want to be the greatest, you've got to push yourself to be in front. Jesus said, no, 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 no. If you want to be the greatest in God's kingdom, you've got to be a servant of all. You've got to be last. Put others before yourself. Then Jesus did something that the disciples would never forget what he does next. He uses a prop. He uses a child. And notice what happens here in verse 36 and 37. He took a, child, a little child and had him stand among them. Take him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me. Jesus just raised the bar as he redefines greatness and leadership right there. Contrast, contrary to the world's definition, he changed it. He takes this little child and he puts him in the midst. And you have to understand in, in the Roman culture, children were loved, but children were placed in the authority of servants. Children had no status at that time, no status at all. And while Jesus was saying, as he took this child and he put this child in the midst of these disciples, he was saying, I want you to show kindness to someone like this, to people who can't do anything for you. I want you to show kindness to someone that can't carry your water. I want you to show kindness to someone who has no social leverage or capital, doesn't have any money, can't offer you anything. I want you to show kindness to those. And when you show kindness to them, then not only are you receiving me, but you're receiving the one that sent me. That's kindness. To show kindness to the least of these. Not those that can help you out, but to the least of these. That's what he was saying. How many of you ever heard of Tim Tebow? You probably say, boy, this is a sports kind of a thing. Heard of Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow was a great college football player. I believe he won the Heisman Trophy. Then he was drafted in the NFL. And Tim, Tim, Tim Tebow would never be known as a great NFL quarterback. I look at his stats. He was never known for that. And then he went into baseball, and he didn't do really well in baseball. I actually retired just a couple weeks ago that I remember reading. He retired. But if you look at the stats, he's never going to be considered a great baseball player. But Tim Tebow, Tim Tebow has done great things. He has this idea that we need to show kindness to special needs adults. And, and he, he began a program a few years ago. I don't know if you heard about it, on a specific night, that they'd have this night to shine prom night for special needs adults. And they put on this prom-like event for them, for the special need adults. And there, there's events across the world that are happening. Last year, there's over 700 churches involved with over 100,000 special need adults. And they had over, I think it was 240,000 volunteers that signed up to help out. And the special need adults, 14 years and older, come all dressed up. And what they do, they put down a red carpet for them to walk on. And they'd have all these people on the sidelines to cheer them on and to celebrate and scream out their names as they're walking up through their... And then they go into church and it's all decorated. And then what happens at the church, you have all these special events and all these games for them to play that are just for them. It's a wonderful, amazing night. And it all began with Tim Tebow. You know, Tim Tebow is probably not great by the world's standards, but he's great by Jesus' definition of what he's doing there. I don't know if I read a story about a golfer a few weeks back, a, a golfer in the 60s from Argentina, maybe, named Robert DeVincio. He had won 280 tournaments, golf tournaments internationally, eight of them in the PGA Tour, probably best known 
for uh, his 1967 and winning the British o Open. But the most famous event that he had was really a gaffe, that he was in the 1968 Masters. He signed a card with the wrong number for that hole. In other words, he signed a bigger number. He shot a three, but he put down a four on the card, and so he was disqualified. He wasn't able to compete the next day in the Masters. But the story I like about his life is one of the times when he won a tournament, is at the 18th hole, he won a tournament, and they gave him the prize, and they gave him the big check that he won from the tournament. And after he did all the interviews, he went to the clubhouse, and he changed, and he went out to the back of the clubhouse, into the parking lot. As he's going out to his car, there was a lady there, and she said to him, this was a good day for you, right? And she says, but I have a daughter that's not going to have any good days. And I have a baby girl who's been diagnosed with a rare blood disease, and the doctor said that they don't think she has much time left. And Davincio's asked her, says, how can I help? And he ended up signing this check over, his winnings check over to this lady, and he says, hopefully this will allow her to have a couple, of few good days in her life. It was about a week later, the PGA official approached him and said, some of the guys told me what happened out in the parking lot. And the official said, you need to know that that lady fooled you. She wasn't telling you the truth. She doesn't have a baby, and you got scammed out of your, your whole winnings check that day. And the golfer said, wait a minute. Are you telling me there's no little girl that is dying of a rare blood disease? And the official said, that's what I'm saying. The golfer said, that's the greatest news I've heard all week. See, greatness is determined by our kindness and affection to the least of these. That's what Jesus was saying. That's the way we're supposed to live. To those with no social status, were to help out, not caring just to help them, to be generous to them. That has to be who we are as followers of Jesus. That's what Jesus is asking. As we reach out in kindness, that's the way we're supposed to be. We will be great. Our greatness will not be measured by our status. Our greatness will not be measured by how big our house is. Our greatness will not be measured by what kind of car we drive. Our greatness will be measured, according to Jesus, by our kindness and love to those who have no social status. Well, we're kind to them. Will we show them kindness? And that's my prayer for you in Crossroads Community Church, that we would always be great people in a great church by our love for others. Well, we always have love for others, looking to love others, not just love, but to put that into action and to show kindness to them. There's a third episode that Jesus shared with them. It in, starts in verse 38. It said, Teacher, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Here would you have the disciples who see something good happening, and because it wasn't they, this person wasn't part of their group, or they didn't give them permission to do it, they're kind of controlling it, and they want it to be stopped. Stop what this man's doing. So they're asking Jesus to stop it. Tell him to stop what he's doing. And notice what Jesus said in verse 39. Do not stop him, said Jesus said. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. Whoever is not against us is for us. I tell you the truth. Anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. And Jesus in this passage teaching us some wonderful principles about greatness. But he says greatness is not building our silos. And number three, what he's saying, greatness is measured by how we treat others. 
how we treat others. In other words, greatness is not measured in isolation. Greatness is, is understanding that the kingdom has no walls, is what he's saying. It has no walls. It's where to reach out, and we're all working together. And I want to give you three things that Jesus was saying here so we can better understand it. Three things. Well, the first thing he was saying that we're to cooperate with those who believe in Christ. We have to understand, when we work together, we can accomplish more things. We're to work together and reach in others for Jesus. Work together and reach in the lost and helping the needy. Number two, believers are allies and not enemies. They're allies and not enemies. What Jesus was saying to these, these disciples, this person who is casting out a demon in my name, after they get done casting out a demon, they're not going to speak evil of me. They're not going to speak against me. So they're on our side. We're on the same team is what he's saying. We're on the same team. And three, he says, extend hospitality to other believers is what he was saying to them. Extend hospitality to other believers. In other words, to offer the very least a cup of water. That's the, that's the least and basic to hospitality. Upper, offering someone a cup of water is basic hospitality. It's the kind of lowest you can give. It's at least offer them a cup of water. Offer a cup of water to someone who claims to know me is what he's saying. Not just anybody. For people who claim to know Jesus as their Savior, offer them a cup of water. And he says, when you do that, you will not lose your reward. In other words, you will have reward for doing that is what he's saying when you do that. Jesus flips it. He flips it. And our challenge and my challenge, let's be great. But greatness isn't the size of our church. Greatness isn't the size of our bank account or a house or a car or our job status or any of those things. See, I want to hear the words of Jesus and I want to hear the words of God to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because you yielded your life to me and sacrificed, that's greatness. That's greatness to God. That you and I yield our hearts and minds to Jesus and are obedient to him. That's greatness. And that's what we need to understand. It doesn't mean we have all these material things. It means we're great because we're following Jesus. See, I want to hear Jesus said you reach out to the kindness and love and compassion. You reached out to the marginalized, to those who don't have anything, those with no social status, those that can't do anything to benefit you, but you reached out to them. That's what he said. To the homeless, to those who don't know Jesus yet. He says, that's greatness. That's greatness in the eyes of God, in the eyes of Jesus. We need to be like this, with, like this in, as people in the world that are following Jesus. That we reach out to those who are marginalized. And guys, we don't have to look for those who are marginalized. Just open your eyes. They're all around us. They're all around us. We don't say, oh, I've got to go find. They're all around you. Just open your eyes. People who are, who are needy, people who don't know Jesus, the homeless, all of them all around us. And so greatness is measured how we serve and how we treat others is what he was saying. We treat them with kindness. Let's be people like Jesus. Let's be gracious and great in the eyes of God. Let's be great because we love others. And that loving others is followed up with action. Many people say, oh, I love other people. I love other people. But what are you doing for them? How are you showing your loving kindness? When Jesus had compassion, I said last week, when he was moved with compassion, it is always followed up with action. He just didn't say, I have compassion for them. He followed it with action. He did something about it. When we say we have compassion, I love someone, what are we doing about it? We're to reach out with action is what Jesus was saying. That's greatness. That's greatness to the marginalized. No social status. Anyone we can help. It's easy to help someone that can benefit us later. I'll give to you because you'll give back to me later. 
That's not greatness. That's the basic how we work, live in our world. But to give to someone who can't give back to you, to help them, Jesus said, that's greatness. To go out of your way to help others. So let's be great people by loving others. And let's put that love into action by helping. Let's be great. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we come. We praise you. Jesus, you are an amazing God. You're an amazing Savior. You are an amazing, amazing teacher. So when we look at the scriptures, Lord, sometimes when we just read over them, we don't understand all the things that you're teaching. But when we get and we study them, we find out, wow, everything that you did, every word you said, every action you took was for a reason. It was to teach and help us to learn who you are and how we can be more like you. The whole scripture is teaching about your nature and your character, of who you are and who you are not. And Lord, as we open up the scriptures, open up our hearts and minds to follow you, to realize, Lord, you've got a plan for our lives, Lord, that we don't have to make a plan on our own, what we're going to do, and say, I've got to do this or I've got to do that. No, our job is to yield our hearts and minds and to follow you. Help us to be good followers. Help us to be in the way of Jesus, to be learners, to be walk in the dust of a rabbi's feet, of Jesus' feet, that we'd follow him in obedience no matter where he takes us. We say yes to Jesus. Lord, let us never be people who say no to you. Let us never be people who compromise your truth or compromise your will in any way in our lives. Help us, Lord, to be obedient. Help us to follow just as it says here. Dear Lord, we're looking to help those who are marginalized. We open up our eyes, Lord, and all around us. Help us reach out and help those who are homeless. Help, those, help uh, reach out to those who are needy, to those who don't know Jesus yet. Open up our eyes, Lord. Help us to see these things that are happening in people's lives. Help us, to, help us to see as you see, with clear eyes, with vision clear, crystal clear, that we see them. And Lord, we stop judging hearts and motives of people. Yes, I'm guilty of it, Lord, but help us to see people the way you see them and reach out in love and action to help those who truly need help. Lord, we praise you and thank you so much for a wonderful lesson. So now, Lord, as you send us out and we continue to worship you, Help us to understand, Lord, that we're here for your purpose, for your reason. And the very air that we breathe, Lord, is because you gave us that oxygen. You gave us that air. So everything that we have, even the air that we breathe, this body that we have, the homes that we live in, the cars that we drive, our jobs that we have, this earth that we live on, it's all yours. The Bible says you own it all and everything in it. And so, Lord, we submit our hearts and minds to you and realize that you own us. We are yours. Help us, Lord, to follow you. Help us to be obedient to you, to carry out your plan, your will, because your plan and your will is greater than anything we could ever come up with for our lives. Help us to understand that. So, Lord, let us sing and to worship you because you are so great and worthy of our worship. And, Lord, we ask these things in that most precious, precious name, in the name of Jesus, amen.